So I remember uh, back in elementary school, um, there were two, two subjects, I mean, even from first grade, that I just, I did, I was not a fan, not a big fan of like the most simple, people love these top, these subjects. Um, handwriting, do you guys have handwriting still? Is this a new and longer, you just typewrite things? I, I get it. Uh, new generation. No, handwriting, it's the worst. Um, and crafts. Like, I never liked doing crafts. And then not like I didn't like writing stuff. I liked writing stuff. And, not, and I have to admit this. Like, I have a, I have a kind of a reputation for disliking crafts. Um, but it didn't start out that way. I was completely open to crafts when I was a kid. Unfortunately, Tracy H. was in my grade. <laughs> and Tracy, Tracy H. was the best. I literally mean she was the best. She was the perfect student. She was like she was the perfect kid in class. Her handwriting was, it looked exactly like the sample handwriting. Like, you know, you had the printed letters and you had letters underneath the printed letters. Her letters were better than the printed letters. When it came to crafts, the, the craft that the sample craft that the teacher made for everyone for us to see, Tracy made it better. Tracy H. She was better. I, I had a thing for Tracy H. Let me tell you. She was the cutest little thing. She had this patch over one eye. And I was like, adorable. But when it came to... When it came to my handwriting compared to Tracy's handwriting, I was, it was like, it was, it was no contest. When, if you compare Tracy's, Tracy H's uh, crafts to my crafts, hers were like put in a museum. Mine looked like they were made by a two-year-old monkey who grew up on a farm. It was just like ridiculous. And so me compared to Tracy H was like absolute, the absolute worst. And I realized that, that the worst part about this was the teacher would hold up Tracy's work and like, look at what Tracy's done. My work never got held up except as an example of don't do this, children. Like, stay away from this is not where you want to be. Don't end up like Mike S. Like, that was the kind of the thing. And again, this whole thing compared. To, so here's what happened. I just stopped trying. When it came to crafts, I'm like, no, I don't. I'm not dealing with glue stuck in my hair anymore. I'm not dealing with making this mess. I'm not even going to try because compared to Tracy, I have no shot. Handwriting is no better. I'm like, when computers were invented, I'm like, yes. I type just as, she types faster than me, though. That's, <laughs> but compared to Tracy H., like, there was, I had no chance. So I just, again, all these areas, I just, I, I quit. Like, I'm not going to try anymore because compared to her, I fail. You know, we're in the middle of the third part of this four-part series on comparison. That's one of the things about comparison is that sometimes we can do this. Sometimes we can let this happen to us, that we meet someone who's better than us, and we're like, well, then why even try? Meet someone who's better at something than us, and we're like, well, then let them be better. Why should I even keep, why should I even keep going? And we realized that Teddy Roosevelt was right. He said comparison is the thief of joy. It also is just that thing that steals us from even, even wanting to try. And the, but here's the hard news about this whole thing is that Tracy H. isn't the only person who's better at crafts and at handwriting and at life than I am. <laughs> like, she's not the only person better than me. If I think about it, I'm like, I look at everything that I do in my life, and there, I'm not the best at anything. Like, I'm not even better than most people at anything. There's almost nothing that I do that I'm not middle of the pack at. Which means the majority of the world is better than me at virtually everything I try. And here's maybe the harsh news, harsh news number one of the night. My guess is, if you're anything like me, that virtually everything you do, there are many, many people who are better at it than you are. Because we're going to get done with this, this series on comparison, and we're going to go back into this world, go back into this life, where the majority of people are better, are, they're better at things than we are. So what do we do with that? Do we let that steal our joy, or do we just quit? 
Or, here's the option, other option, or do we become incomparable? There's comparison out there that's just, it's rampant, right? It's in our hearts, it's, our, it's surrounding us, and we can have a choice. I can give in to this compare and then despair, or I can become invincible to comparison. You can become incomparable. Because, yes, it's true. Um, when the teacher held up the thing, what I, what she, maybe what she meant was, you can't do this like Tracy H. can. Maybe she just meant it like, isn't this great? Celebrate what someone can do. What I heard it as is, you can't do it like Tracy H. can. And in some levels, that's true. I can't do it like Tracy H. can, but that doesn't mean that I can never do it like Tracy H. can. To become incomparable means that when someone else does something great, it doesn't shut me down. It might actually move me along. You ever had maybe a parent do this where they're like, why can't you be more like? You ever play that game with anyone? <laughs> your mom and dad are says, and they're maybe just trying to inspire you, and they say, why can't you be more like your older brother? Why can't you be more like your little sister? Why You don't have any siblings. Why can't you be more like your cousins? Like, they just find someone to compare you to. And sometimes that comparison can lead to despair. Sometimes that comparison can lead to condemnation. And maybe that's what they meant. Maybe what they meant by this was um, they were highlighting your limitations. You can't do it. Why can't you be like someone else? But maybe they were trying something else. Like maybe they were actually trying not to condemn you. Maybe they weren't trying to indict you. Maybe they were trying to do what was in 2 Maccabees. It's the first reading. And you heard, heard it about this is um, 2 Maccabees chapter 7. What happened is the Greeks, they came and they invaded Israel. And now all the Jews lived under the rule of the Greeks. And so at one point, the ruler was Antiochus was saying, okay, if you're going to be Jewish, fine, you can stay here, but you have to obey our rules. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to make you eat pork. Of course, violation of the law. And so this story we heard today is these seven brothers and their mom. And actually, this is like the edited for mass version. Like they cut out, we kind of skipped over the, it's really gory. If you're, They're going to make a movie about it someday because it's just that violent. Um, we didn't hear all, about, all the seven brothers. We heard about four of them or so. But when it gets to the story gets to the seventh brother, like the story gets like just absolutely intense. Here's how it goes. It says Antiochus, the, the mom is talking. The mom had to watch all this whole thing, right? She had to watch six of her sons get tortured, get like literally skinned alive and killed. And now here's the seventh son. He's still alive. And she's calling out to him in Hebrew. And Antiochus, the ruler, he suspects insult in her words. He, he thinks she's making fun of him. And so as the youngest brother was still alive, the king appealed to him, and not with mere words, but with promises on oath to make him rich and happy, that he would abandon, if he did abandon his ancestral customs, he would make him his friend and entrust him with high office. Now, when the youth paid him no attention at all, the king appealed to the mother, urging her to advise the boy to save his life. And after he urged her for a long time, she went through the motions of persuading her son. So she's like, fine, you're going to make me do this? I will act as if I'm going to try to convince him to eat pork. But then it says that then she got down and whispered into his ear in Hebrew. Here's what she says. Son, have pity on me, who carried you in my womb for nine months, who nursed you for three years, who brought you up and educated and supported you to your present age. Now, that can sound like one of those guilty moms. You, ever, you know guilty moms, right? Like, listen, I carried you in my body for nine months. I weaned you for three years. Like, I've suffered and slaved for you. You will do what I say. I'm guilting you into this, right? That's not what she's doing. She's not guilting her son into this. What she's saying is, my son, I carried you for three, for nine, three years in my body. It was the weirdest gestation ever. I carried you for nine months. I nursed you for three years. I've, I've loved you. What she's saying is, my son, I love you. You can trust me. 
I've been part of your life your entire life. I love you. You can trust me. Because what I'm about to ask you is something big. I'm not guilting you into this. I love you. You can trust me. And she says, I beg you. Look at the heavens and the earth and see all that's in them. Then you'll know that God did not make them out of existing things. And in the same way, the human race came into existence. So now, so now, do not be afraid of this executioner, but be worthy of your brothers and accept death so that the time of mercy, I may receive you again with them. And here's a mom. You can see her like saying, like, why can't you be more like your brothers? Your six brothers got tortured and killed. You be like them. Like, she's not guilting him into this. What she's saying is, you saw them go ahead of you. you. There's something in your brothers that you admire, right? There's something in your brothers that you were like, that's heroic. And she looks at her son and she says, that thing you admire in your brothers, I see that in you. So rather, this comparison, rather than leading to condemnation, was comparison that was meant to lead to inspiration. It was not comparison that would highlight his limitations. It was the comparison that she's trying to say, listen, this is the possibility. That thing you think is great, it is great. And it's in you as well. See, this is, to become incomparable means that when someone else does something great, and I don't, I'm not less, I realize I can be more. And this happens all the time. You know, up until Roger Bannister in 1954 ran a sub-four-minute mile, people thought it was absolutely impossible. No one will ever be able to run that fast. Humanly impossible. But since 1954, and he ran that sub-four-minute marathon, mile, <laughs> it's, you guys, you have no idea. <laughs> 480, 487 people have run a sub-four-minute mile. Many of them high schoolers. The guy who did run, just he broke uh, a two-hour mara two marathon. You know, Iliad Kipchoge. His average pace per mile was around four minutes and 30 seconds. 26 of those back to back to back to back to back. Sir Roger Bannister, in 1954, he showed it was possible. People were like, wait, I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. His, his being greater did not make anyone else less, but actually that left them inspired. In fact, that's even what's happened in the church before. There's a guy named St. Ignatius, Ignatius of Loyola. This guy was like all about, he was all about being uh, famous, all about being heroic on the battlefield. He went on the battlefield, they got hit by a cannonball, broke his leg, and as he was healing, his, his leg was healing, his sister-in-law gave him two books. She, he liked reading other books. He liked reading books of romance and books of fighting, and she gave him two books. She said, no, 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 you need to read these two books. One is The Life of Jesus, and the other is The Lives of the Saints. Like, this will do you some good. And as he was reading those Lives of the Saints, he read these lives of people who just, they got sold out for Jesus. And he said, wait a second, if, if they could do it, then, then why not me? Like, if this was possible for someone like St. Francis of Assisi, why, why wouldn't it be possible for, some, for someone like me? You know, the people who are incomparable, people who are invincible to comparison, they refuse to be threatened by other people's gifts. Imagine what you would look like if you, were, you, if you actually refused to be threatened by the fact that someone else is liked more than you are. That someone else might be, have more accomplishments than you are. Imagine if you refused to be made less in your mind by the fact that someone else did something great. Someone else was loved more. You know, because that's the thing. is like everyone in this room, you are, everyone here is loved by someone. You are loved, you are loved deeply by someone. But we all, we all, we give into this comparison thing where, well, I'm not loved the way I want to be loved. I'm not loved by the person I want to be loved by. And so even the gift we're given 
this comparison, it, 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 like it, it, it inhibits our ability to even receive the gifts, to receive the love, to receive what we've been given. Because I, I'm more concerned with what someone else has been given that I can't even receive what I'm being given right now. I have a, I have a sibling who will remain nameless, who uh, for years, on Christmas morning, as we were all unwrapping our gifts, they got gifts as well, but as we're all unwrapping our gifts, they would look around and see their gifts and add them up and see other people, all the other siblings' gifts and add them up. And if someone else got more than they did, they looked at Christmas morning as if they were losing. Like, why did someone else get more than me? Imagine taking a day where all you're just being given gifts and gifts and gifts and feel like you lost. Because when we have that comparison that's in us and we look at someone else's gifts and we realize I haven't been given those same gifts. And the reality, of course, is that it's true. Because we'll look around and we'll, like, we'll be saying, I, I'm not like them. Look around this room and say, I'm not like they are. They ha- you have more gifts than me. What? So what? What if the people closest to you have more gifts than you? Like, what does that matter? In fact, you know, it's so interesting. Um, this uh, young woman, she had been following the podcast, like the series had been doing, and she emailed me and she said, Father, I get it. I'm infinitely preferred, infinitely loved by God. But here's the thing is that like, in my family and in my church, there are people around me who have been given these gifts by God that I haven't been given. Like, I pray to God for these gifts. And people around me have evidence that they've been given more gifts than me. And I feel like I'm less. And to her, I just had to say, like, okay, I realize that. Maybe other people have been given more gifts. But this is so important. Giftedness does not equal worthiness. Giftedness does not equal lovableness. Like, just because someone else has been given more gifts doesn't mean that they're more loved. And because I've been given less gifts doesn't mean I'm less loved. In fact, St. Paul writes about this in chapter 12 of Romans. He says, we've each been given gifts according to the grace given to us. Not according to worthiness, but just according to the gift. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says to people, because people were looking at their own gifts in the Bible, and they were saying like, listen, my maximum amount of gifts makes me better, and my minimum amount of gifts makes me less. And he looked at those people who were claiming that they were better because they had more, and he said, what makes you superior? He asked the question, he said, what makes you superior? Why do you have, or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Because one critical thing is not only does giftedness not equal worthiness, but God doesn't desire equality. He doesn't want us to be equal. If he did, he would have just made us all literally exactly the same. He wants complementarity. So we're not going to have the same amount of gifts. That is an undesirable goal. Say, well, yeah, but if I had more gifts, I'd be happy. I don't think so. Well, if people love me more, I'd be happy. I don't think so. Because until the moment, until the time we become incomparable, invincible to comparison, I would say this, no matter how many gifts God gives you, you still live under, live under the threat that you're not loved. Have you ever had this? Um, I found people, I, I found it true that people who are gifted are just as likely to end up resenting the gift and becoming suspicious of, well, am I really truly loved as people who don't have very many gifts? 
Because think about it. Here's someone who um, has a particular gift. Maybe their gift is service. Maybe they actually, they come alive when they serve. They come alive when they give. And they just, they find the time for that. And so they have a role now in the community, in the family, in their, in their church, in this community. And that the role is they serve. Or someone else is a teacher. You found you have a gift for teaching. And so you embrace it, you use it. And like, wait a second, now you have a role in the community and your role is a teacher. Or someone who, there's so many of you who have just such good hearts and people like open up to you, you have such good counsel. One of your gifts is you, you listen well and, and people just turn to you because you use that gift and so you have a role in the community that people turn to you. Some of you like bring people together. I know some of you are just so, so gifted in that. Like you're the one who's always calling people and saying, let's come together, let's have fun. And then you're like, but no one calls me. I'm always the one who calls everyone else and no one calls me. I'm always the one who serves and that's why they like me. Just because I have this gift, I have this role of teaching and so that's the only reason why people care about me. And we can begin to actually associate our value with the value that we offer. And we can begin to doubt the fact that am I loved because I'm loved or am I loved because I'm gifted? Do people care about me only because I have this role? Do people love me only because I have this gift? And we can end up resenting the role. We can end up begrudging the gift. And if that's ever been you, I just need to let you know this. What you offer is valued. Like, when you serve, it's, it's valuable. It helps people around you. So please keep doing it. What you offer is valued. Who you are is loved. What you offer is valued, but who you are is loved. And missing this, missing that key, is what has, is what has led more people who are even massively gifted or minimally gifted to feel inferior. So many people, even if you're massively gifted, can feel inferior. Because, because, because if that's how I'm measuring things, then everyone is seen as a threat to my own worthiness. Your giftedness is a threat to my lovableness. And so you feel inferior. You ever wonder like why we feel inferior? When was the last time someone actually literally walked up to you and told you, I believe you're inferior? I don't believe that's ever happened in this community, although in this community, there's many people who say like, I just feel inferior. No one is, here's the important, this is a hard word. No one is doing that to you. No one is doing that to you. We do that to ourselves. There's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, right, about comparison thief of joy. The wife of his fifth cousin, Eleanor Roosevelt, once said this. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one makes you feel inferior. We do that to ourselves. We choose to feel inferior. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And yet that's still so easy to fall into. It's still so easy to look over in someone else's lane, right? It's so easy to look over in someone else's lane. And sometimes we think that's what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to be comparing myself. In fact, St. Paul next week, just spoiler for you, heads up, next week St. Paul is going to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So it seems like in that sense that Paul is saying, hey, look over here, be like me. He's not. This is, this is important for us to note. St. Paul is not saying, you should end up looking like me. He's saying this. He's saying... Imitate the fact that I'm imitating Jesus. When he says, imitate, be imitators of me as I'm of Christ, he's not saying you should look like Paul. He's saying, I'm trying to look like Jesus. You also should try to look like Jesus. 
Um, there's this uh, famous spiritual writer. His name is Dom Hubert von Zeller. He's a Benedictine monk. He's an Englishman. I read this book that he wrote once, years ago. And in it, he described uh, taking everyone in this room and giving everyone a canvas and an easel and a set of paints, paintbrush. And saying, okay, meet me tomorrow. We're going to sit on a hill and we're going to paint the sunrise. Anyone who wants to, anyone who wants to paint the sunrise, we have a canvas for you, we have an easel for you, you have paints, we have paintbrushes for you. So meet me at sunrise. We're going to paint the sunrise. And you all show up to paint the sunrise. And we all show up and we start painting the sunrise. But what happens is that I end up noticing someone else's painting. I'm like, wait, my painting doesn't look like Tracy H's painting. So what I, well, here's what we end up doing. We end up, instead of looking at the sunrise, we end up looking at Tracy H's painting and try to copy the way Tracy H is painting the sunrise. And um, Hubert von Ziller said, what are you doing? Paint the sunrise. Don't paint someone else's version of the sunrise. And when it comes to imitating Jesus, like don't imitate someone else's imitation of Jesus. Just imitate Jesus. Don't look at someone else's crafts. Look at the master. Because he has so much more for you. And this is something I've just been... This has been really weighing on me for, I'm going to say, I know months, maybe years. I wasn't sure when to share it. Because it seems, it can be received as kind of a hard word. And I don't mean it like a hard word. But the fact of the matter is, I look at myself and I realize that I could be more. In my life, I could be more. Not only that, like, I, I should be more. It doesn't seem to stop there. I, if I ask myself, I realize I actually want to be more. So not only could I be more and should I be more, I, I want that. And my guess is this. My guess is if you're here tonight, you know that's true as well, that you are not yet the person that God wants you to be. That you actually, you could be more. And you should be more. And if you show up for Mass tonight, my guess is you actually want to be more. I'm guessing that's why you're here. And I want to be more so that, you know, sometimes we want to be more so we can be noticed. Sometimes we want to be more so we can be great. Sometimes we want to be more so we can be more than someone else. But that is not the person we compare ourselves to. We can never compare ourselves to the person next to us. That's never the person. That's never a good comparison. That's not being uncomparable. That's not an invincible comparison. To compare ourselves to the person next to us is never the goal. Because if we do that, it's always going to reach a limit. If I compare the, to myself to the person next to me, it's always going to reach a limit. Maybe even, even if you win even if you're literally the best in the world at anything, if there's a limit there. Because who's going to take it from me? Or maybe I'm good, best at what, this thing, but I'm not best at everything. There's a limit. Or I lose. I need to be better than someone else, and I lose. I mean, I'm glad that Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. So I know it's possible. But I also realize that that's not possible for me. I kind of liked it when it was impossible. <laughs> no one could possibly do that. Now people can, just not you, Father Mike. <laughs> but that's, that's never been the point. The point literally has never been to be better than the person next to you. God has never asked you to paint someone else's sunrise. Paint his sunrise. Paint your version of his sunrise. This is the last thing. You guys, it all comes back to last week. 
Last week, this core truth is that you are infinitely preferred already. So paint the sunrise. You are infinitely loved. So pick up the canvas and paint the sunrise. You're already infinitely chosen, so get those paints and just, just go. Because, because you're infinitely loved already, you're infinitely preferred already, that's not just... That doesn't just mean there's a demand for you to be more. You know, you not have the freedom to be more. You have the freedom to paint that sort of every stinking, every single day. To pick up those paints and just not be better than the person next to you. Not to compare yourself to the person in front of you. All you need to do is paint the sunrise better today than you did yesterday. Because that's, that's the only comparison that counts. Who are you today versus who you were yesterday? There will be people who paint the sunrise better than you. But that's not the point. The point is not to paint the sunrise better than anyone else. The point is to paint the sunrise better today than you painted the sunrise yesterday. That's good comparison. That's being incomparable. It isn't using comparison to make yourself feel superior or make someone else feel inferior, but to see what's possible, to rejoice in it, and to be inspired to try. And becoming incomparable, becoming invincible to bad comparison means that God has given you the freedom to be more, not more loved, not more preferred, but more like him today than you were yesterday. Hi, this is Father Mike, obviously, once again, and I wanted to thank you for listening to this podcast. Hopefully, and really my prayer in so many ways, um, and I would even say my preoccupation for a lot of uh, my waking hours is making sure that this podcast is is a gift to you. Um, I hope it's a gift to my student, our students, first of all, and then as an overflow, a gift to everyone who listens to this. Um, thank you for supporting this ministry. Thank you for supporting me with your prayers. I was just at a men's conference this last weekend, and a number of men came up and just said, yeah, we listen and we just, I've been praying for you, uh, specifically, you know, for me um, and my own faithfulness and my own pursuing of Jesus and as well as for the students on campus. And I want to let you know that there were so many students uh, today at both of our masses. We have two masses on Sunday in the morning, one in the evening, where... Um, who had who are Catholic but had never come to Mass on campus before, and they were here tonight. And thank you for your prayers. I hope that your prayers are what got them to to uh, to Mass. And the number of students who aren't Catholic and they came to Mass tonight for the first time ever. And again, so grateful, so grateful for your prayers. Please keep that up. Um, you know why I'm having this little addendum to the podcast is we have uh, our annual Give to the Max Day. It's the day that we ask those who um, have been helped by our ministry to help our ministry. Um, those who have been blessed by our ministry to please pray about uh, in response or return blessing our ministry. Uh, if you can, please keep praying for us. If you're willing to keep praying for us, please keep doing that. And if you feel called to this, if you wouldn't mind praying about financially supporting our ministry, this upcoming Thursday, Thursday, November 14th, 2019, is the our annual Give to the Max Day. So there's a place called GiveMN, GiveMinnesota.org, uh, and you can go there and you can find us, UMD Newman, um, to, to donate if that's what you're called to do, or even just go to bulldogcatholic.org uh, and then hit the donate button. There you can give a recurring gift if you'd like. You can give a one-time gift. Again, this is only if, if you just want to. Obviously, th these podcasts are for free. Um, 
hopefully they're a blessing to you and um, hopefully you know that there's no strings attached to any of this. Uh, I pray for you, you who listen to these podcasts like a lot. Um, you have a lot of my, uh, yeah, I guess I just, I don't know how to say this. I feel the weight of wanting to serve you. Um, I want to serve our students on campus, but I, I really, really want to serve you when you listen to these podcasts. And I hope that they're a blessing to you. Um, and again, there's no strings attached. If, if you're like, no, I, podcasts are free, dude. <laughs> and so uh, we don't have to do that. Like, I totally understand. I 100% understand. But if you uh, are moved to support us through prayer or through financial support, I thank you. And I'm really, really grateful. Um, it's, it, this is basically this Give Me to the Max Day is our the one day we ask for funds and it's the one day we get them. Um, it supports our annual or you know year-long ministry and so thank you so much for praying about that and doing that again i'll keep this message short huh, yeah fat chance <laughs> but uh thank you so much and please know um i'm praying for you uh regardless of whether or not uh yeah i'm praying for you no matter what um thank you so much and uh yeah god bless <laughs>